This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Good morning. It's good to be with you, and it's uh, great to join together as we continue on this, this journey we've been in with Paul in the road ahead. And when we think about Paul in the road ahead, so on the one hand, uh, Keiji was, was right in that when he, when he prayed with us, that we're taking a look back into the time of about the mid-first century, around 50, and, and in that time frame, uh, soon after Christ was, was born and then he ascended back to heaven. So it's mid-first century. At the same time, you know, as we take a look there, we want, we're finding out what God was up to and what God, where God was active. But we also want to be really um, listening and looking and finding out what is God up to in our own story, in, in this world in which we live in. Where is God probing us? Where is God speaking to us out of the story that we read there and where we're at now? So we're going to take a look at, uh, at a text out of the book of Acts. It's Acts 18. And there we read about how Paul takes a journey from Athens to Corinth, this city that is in Greece. So if you've got a Bible, if you've got the Schweitzer app, um, if you want to join w- with me, we're going to read Acts 18, 1 through 11. And there we find these words. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar departed, um, or deported all Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers, just as he was. And each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue, trying to convince the Jews and the Greeks alike. Unfortunately, this version doesn't tell us what he's trying to convince them of, but uh, I don't think he's trying to convince them of what, what color the carpet ought to be. He's trying to convince them, the reality is he's trying to convince them that Jesus is the anointed one. He's the Christ, the one sent from God, the one that they'd heard about in terms of the prophets, the ones that the prophets look for, and the one who has come was the anointed one. So that's what he's trying to convince them. Oh, is that the right slide, Brennan? Thanks, okay. And after Silas and Timothy... So he went to the synagogue, tried to convince them. And then after a while, Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia. Paul spent all of his time preaching the word, and he testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, Your blood is upon your own heads. I'm innocent. Um, From now on, I will go and preach to the Gentiles. Um, If that sounds familiar, it should, because... Jesus, when he sent out the 12, and then when he sent out the 72, he told them, if there is a place where they don't want to listen to you, don't, don't let it bother you too much. Just shake off your clothes and move on. That's what Paul did. We see that happening in that place. But he went next door. This is an interesting thing. He doesn't leave town. He goes next door. He left and went to the home of Titus Justus, a Gentile, who worshipped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue... And everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul and became believers and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack and harm you. For many people in this city belong to me. Uh, if you just want to hang out someplace in the scripture that's before you, I'd encourage you to hang out in those, that last sense of vision. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Many people in the city belong to me. It's an important piece of the vision. So what was Corinth like? 
What was the city like that Paul goes to when he moves from Athens to Corinth? Where was it at? Um, these, are, these are some questions that I began to ask myself at, when I was looking at this text. So Athens, and uh, you've probably heard of Athens. It's a pretty pr prominent place in our world in terms of Greece. Corinth is just about 50 miles to the west of Athens. <clears throat> and it sits on this little uh, bridge of land. It sits on a very small place. And so there were about a quarter of a million people that were living in the city of Corinth when Paul went there, when he, when he encountered it. And it was, a, it was an active place because just as Corinth is right there in that isthmus, today there is a channel that connects uh, the seas. The seas almost connect right there, but they do because of a, of a channel that was cut. There's a, a high picture of, of what that land bridge looked like. Now, technically, I guess the that big portion where Corinth sits is an island, but ships go through there every day. In Paul's day, people wanted to uh, take ships through there. Nero tried to build a, um, he tried to build a channel in about 44 AD. He couldn't get it done. But <clears throat> instead of building a channel, they would take the ships. The ships would come in from either directions, and on on both sides, they would unload the ships at the docks. And then they'd put the cargo, whatever they were carrying for freight, they'd put them on, on a skid and they'd haul those across to the other side. They would also bring the ships up out of the water and slaves would pull these ships across that land bridge and put them in the other side. Now, um, that, that uh, degree of taking cargo out of ships and reloading it back onto ships... That's a, lot of, that's a lot of work, but it also does something else. It creates an incredibly vibrant economy. When Paul arrived at Corinth, there was a lot of trade going on. You imagine all of that stuff being unloaded and reloaded and people teeming around that place. All kinds of people were coming to Corinth because they knew that they could buy goods. Goods maybe that, that were going to be carried on to someplace else or that they could buy them there or they could sell them. And so it was a teeming economy that Paul encountered in Corinth. One of the other things that he encountered in Corinth was a, a city that really didn't have any roots. Most of the people who came there were not from there. In 44 BC, the city was, uh, well, it began to be reconstructed. Uh, Julius Caesar sent some retired uh, officers from his army to Corinth to reestablish it because it had been torn down previously. And the, so these soldiers, they begin to reestablish the city of Corinth. People come from all kinds of different places. And they come with all kinds of different backgrounds. And some of them come and they're free. And some of the people that make their way there are people who are enslaved. And they come with different mindsets, with different culture. They come with even a, a sense of a different religion. Lots of different religions prospered there. And so one of the things that Paul finds there is he finds a diasporic community, a community that have uh, of Jews that have come from all different places, some of them of their own volition, and some of them because they've been driven from their homelands. And they find a safe place in Corinth. But everybody who's there, everybody who's there has a bit of rootlessness. Because of that sense of rootlessness, that, uh, and that great big vibrant economy, there's a couple of things that give Corinth as a city a sense of focus, a thing that, that everybody... Um, their lives kind of unite around. And that's two temples. In the city proper, there's a temple to, um, 
Well, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, aren't I? Yeah, because I've got a text. Sorry. Uh, before we get to the temples, I want to tell you this text because it's, uh, it, the temples represented the idea of eros or love. And in 1 Corinthians, we, we hear Paul's imagination of what love is, love that's marked by the personality of Jesus. Uh, Paul describes love in this way. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love, love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. You've probably heard that if you've gone to a wedding recently, right? This text is read a lot. And it carries out the idea of what love bearing the marks of Jesus is like. And yet when Paul makes his way to Corinth, he finds love expressed through the temples. He finds love expressed in a, in a sense of, of eros. Uh, not too far, in fact, just a block over from the main street that was the market area where all kinds of trade took place, there was a temple to Apollo. Apollo was, and this is a, uh, what it looks like today or in, in those environments. Um, Apollo was the god of, of love and music. If you go to Harlem, you can go to the Apollo Theater, right? Uh, the Apollo Theater's there. Love, music, poetry, and really young, strapping kind of love. John Pollock, who, who, uh, and, and others who've written about Paul and written about this time, described how around the temple of Apollo, there were all kinds of young, virulent, masculine figures that encouraged the people in that day to be as sexually open as possible. And in fact, the kind of sexuality that was expressed in this place was the sexuality of men chasing young boys. That was the kind of identification with love that people had in Corinth. Or if it wasn't that one, then behind it, you begin to see a mountain there, up on top of the Acre Corinth, which is a, a mountain just south of the city, was the temple to Aphrodite. And in this temple lived a thousand prostitutes. A thousand prostitutes. And people made their way there and, and made their way out. It so marked, these two temples so marked the, ex, the life in Corinth, the expression of life in Corinth, that uh, there were a couple of, of terms coined. One was, uh, if, if you were going to be a Corinthian, that meant you were going to be sexually promiscuous everywhere. Or if you called a, a, a woman a Corinthian girl, that meant that she was open to anyone. Well, you can, there's lots of other terms that you can imagine in our own time, in our own culture that we use for those things. But that's the, the PG-rated version, right? So Paul finds himself in that place. A place where everything is open and everything is um, oriented around sexuality. This past week, I was talking with Blake Brewer. We were talking about this, um, this message in this, the city of Corinth. And Blake, just, you want to come up, Blake? Um, <clears throat> Blake was just sharing how sexuality, I was, I was telling Blake that if also in Corinth there was a, as in many Greek and Roman towns, there was a, a theater, an outdoor theater. And if you went to the theater, it was most likely that you were, you were going to see pornography live on the stage. And Blake began to tell me 
You know, that this stuff that you could see in Corinth is stuff that is affecting invisible with us. And it affects our time today. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Hey, so my name is Blake Brewer. I work for um, a ministry called Stumo. I've been on, in campus ministry for the last 10 years. So my first five years was at the University of Arkansas where I graduated. And then my wife and I came to Missouri State. When I first was in ministry, uh, the question that I would um, ask guys, so my wife and I, are, I'm meeting up with the guys, she's meeting up with girls, and we're really trying to help guys uh, come into a relationship with God. So some of these guys grew up in church, some of these guys didn't grow up in church, um, but I really want to help these guys um, become holistic and become um, better fathers one day, better husbands. And we realized, hey, this is an issue that we need to, dis- to, at- to talk about. So we would ask guys, hey, is pornography... Um, an issue for you? Like how much have, have you, have you ever looked at it? And over the last 10 years, my question has changed because what I realized maybe 10 years ago, some, maybe a lot of guys had, um, were struggling with this, but now, um, every guy that I come across, um, college student, college guy on some level has been affected and is dealing with this. And so my question is not, um, man, have you ever, it's like, my question is, how much, like how much of a struggle is this for you? And a lot of this is because of the invention of uh, high-speed internet um, and also uh, the smartphone. And so these guys starting age eight, eight, 19 years old, it's right there and they have access to it. Even if they never wanna look, look at it and it is right there and we're learning um, that it is starting to change their brain. And so we said, I'm starting to talk too long, I'm sorry. No, you're okay, okay. Keep, and so keep going. We, <laughs> And so we said, hey, as a ministry, we've got to help these guys. And so we need to find a ministry that we can partner with that can help us. We found a ministry called puredesire.org. It's out of California. And one of the series that they put out is a series called The Conqueror Series. It's by Ted Roberts. It's five weeks long. It's about an hour long each week. And it's, it's really good stuff. And it really helps you understand the, the brain science behind it um, and formulate a battle plan. And as I'm sitting there with these guys watching this, I'm like, I wish every guy in this country could be learning this stuff. They need to, whether they struggle with it or not, it doesn't matter the age. All of us guys need to learn this stuff. I wish every guy in Springfield um, could learn this stuff. I wish every guy at my church at Schweitzer could learn this stuff, which is one of the reasons I'm really excited to announce um, that starting February 28th, we're gonna start this series at Schweitzer. And so I wanna invite every single guy at Schweitzer to come be a part of it. It's gonna be Tuesday night. At seven o'clock, this could be an issue that, hey, you're like, I'm struggling with this. I wanna come learn some more. And I want a lot of guys that come who would say, hey, I've never struggled with this, but I, I wanna learn. Man, I have a son. I'm going to have a son one day. I have a grandson. And so for all of us, I think it's on us as men uh, to educate ourselves in this. It's a really good production. If you come, you're not gonna regret it. Ladies, your husband's sitting there saying, hey, this might be really interesting. I might wanna go. But he's thinking, man, my wife's gonna think I got an issue or something. And so he's not gonna go. And so ladies, please free your, your husbands up um, to come to this. Just because they come doesn't mean that they have an issue. Man, they want um, to be courageous and they want to learn about some things. So February 28th, we'll get some more information out about it. So uh, Blake, just before you go, in Corinth, uh, you talked about the guys, but in Corinth, uh, a, wild, a wild west kind of uh, openness to sexuality existed for men and women. And so this last week, somebody told me that 
About 30% of women in our climate are hooked on pornography, struggling with pornography. Um, you talked about help for the guys, but what kind of help exists for, for women? Yeah, and, and definitely in our culture, it, it is an issue um, for women. Sometimes it gets stigmatized as just, oh, this is a, a man's thing. And so you can imagine if you're a woman and you are struggling with this, um, there's shame for the guy, but also for a woman, there's even more shame because she feels like, um, man, I'm, I'm the only one. Like you said, one out of three women are, are struggling with this. And so um, I think uh, a great website to go to is puredesire.org. We can put some links on at Switzer. Yeah. But there is some um, counselors, some people in Springfield that can help out with this. And puredesire.org, is, uh, they also have a curriculum too, like, right. like the Conquerors thing. And so let me just put this out there and, and open to, to you. If you're a woman, if you've got an interest in puredesire.org, go there and check it out. If you'd be interested in leading a conversation with women in this place, go there, check it out, and then connect with one of the pastors, and we can, um, we can empower you and equip you to, to make that happen. Thanks, Blake, for coming and sharing with us. Um, <clears throat> in John Pollock's book on the Apostle Paul, he, he writes, he has this quote, he says, he realizes that Paul looked at everything that was happening in Corinth and he's, he came to this conclusion, the misuse of sex damaged human personality. It flouted divine design and it invited inevitable misery. See, that's what he saw when he walked through the streets of Corinth, when he interacted with people in Corinth. And love expressed through the, the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus is kind and patient and forgiving and rejoicing with truth and it's enduring. It's other-centered, other-focused. And so Paul, he begins to engage in work that will express what the love of Christ is, that sense of being other-centered, other-focused, and he begins to go to the synagogue and he begins to talk about the power of God that's at work and what lives can look like and what lives can be shaped like. And so he goes to the synagogue and or actually, when he lands in the city, he encounters a couple of people who, whose names are Aquila and Priscilla. And Aquila and Priscilla are people who are, are followers of Jesus. And they've made their way to Corinth because they were no longer wel- welcomed in Rome. And they um, will be like Paul, where they'll talk about the, the mysteries of God in the in the synagogue, and then when Paul leaves the synagogue, they, they go too. But they'll become lifelong friends with Paul, and we all need friends. When we encounter Priscilla and, and Aquila, we encounter two people that will become dear friends to Paul. It would be remiss today if, if we didn't notice that a lot of people who came to Corinth came there because they were forced out of the places where they were at. A lot of people came to Corinth and they were refugees. And I've not been able to get away from the conversation about refugees that we're having in our own day-to-day. And I don't exactly know what to suggest in terms of, of how we ought to think or act with regard to people who are displaced from their, own, uh, from their own homes. But there is a bit of conviction that's come over me. And that the church is a place where refugees have always found a place where they can hang their hat and they can be welcomed. Because God blesses those 
and he longs for those who are displaced from their homes. And so as a church, we need to have that banner and to hold that high. Priscilla and Aquila were refugees. Jesus, when he left Bethlehem and went to Egypt, was a refugee. The other thing I know is that we shouldn't simply be activists. It's not enough to be an activist to lift up your voice. If we really want to do something about refugees, we have to be willing to say, send people who can't be in the places they love. You can send them to where we live, and not just send them to where we live, but you can send them to our house. If we really want to say something, if we really want to lift up a banner about the problem of refugees, why don't we simply say, I'm willing to host somebody in my house. Maybe in hosting a refugee, you might host the very nature of God himself. Paul found people like Priscilla and Aquila. And they went to the synagogue, and the synagogue wasn't always welcoming. But that was okay, because the next, the next house over was welcoming. Because they heard, as Paul talked about the mystery of God, as they heard Paul talk about what the love of Christ looked like, as they heard Paul talk about what the resurrection of Jesus was and how it was open to everybody, people in, in Corinth began to be drawn to this message. And there were those who, who were opposed to it, but people began to be drawn to it. And the church began to grow, and Paul, Luke tells us, near the end, of that reading, Paul began to get concerned because he could see that, that there were indicators that he could be in trouble and that at some point the city could turn and they could throw him out as he had been thrown out of a lot of other places. And as he's beginning to have those fears, that's when Luke says he had a vision. And Jesus, who had met Paul on the Damascus Road, showed up again in Corinth. You see, Jesus showed up in Corinth. Think about all the things that Corinth is, Corinth was, and Jesus shows up there. And he tells Paul, don't be afraid. I'm with you. There are a lot of people in this city who belong to me. And Jesus doesn't begin to name who all those people were, so Paul had to begin to figure it out. He had to begin to see that everybody in that city, everybody in that city was somebody that Jesus cared for. Jesus longed for, Jesus desired. So friends, Paul goes to Corinth. Paul sees a lot of things. He's able to proclaim the message of Christ. And he's encouraged to stay there. As you think about our own city, the places where we live, our own times, our own culture, do you think... We're, we're in Corinth. Do you think Corinth matches up with where we're at? This last September, I had to go to, uh, go to L.A. for a conference. And before I went to the conference, the night before, we went to Hollywood to, to go to church. And we were walking down Hollywood Boulevard, and these um, actors came up beside of me. And they, I was walking with Anna, my wife, and, and they came up and they said, Let's, let's take a picture with him. And so then they do this. And, and then they turn to Anna after the picture snapped and they go, can we take him into the woods for a while? 
And I told Taylor likes that. He said, why would they want to take you into the woods? I'm like, Taylor, I don't know. This is a scene that can be played out in, in Hollywood, but it's also a scene that was played out not too, well, back in, the, in May, I was in New York City, saw a very similar scene. Except in Times Square, it wasn't just body paint on everything and makeup, but there were people who were just wearing paint and no clothes. I thought to myself, we're in Corinth. But it's not just in those places. A year and a half ago, Taylor Likes and KJ Rolke were just newbies to Springfield. And so on an August night, we went downtown for the first Friday art walk, and uh, we were hanging out. Uh, we, saw, we saw some art, and then we went to the Urban Cup. And we were sitting in the Urban Cup when, lo and behold, 50-plus people walked by with no shirts on, with nothing on their tops, mostly women. Corinth. So what do you do when you live in Corinth? Well, let me say this. Paul doesn't get wigged out. Doesn't get wigged out at all. But he takes himself and he steeps himself in the story of Scripture. My friends, if, if we're going to live in Corinth, which we do, and if we're going to be the people that God intends us to be and calls us to be and knows that we can be, we have to be people who steep ourselves in the pages of Scripture. We can't just talk about Jesus. We can't imagine that Jesus is somebody who's, who's like us, but we have to become more like him. And so we have to open up our scriptures. We have to get in groups where people are talking about what the scriptures mean and how the scriptures can be lived out. We have to attend to scripture and we have to do it passionately. Because if we don't, we'll make Jesus in our own image and we can put up another temple it's just like the temple of Apollo or Aphrodite, and it's wrong. We have to attend to Scripture, to the Jesus who was and is. And in attending to him, we have to put down roots. Right? We have to put down roots in the story of God and how God is living out his story in us. And we have to say this with great confession. In fact, all of the book of 1 Corinthians is like a confession about how the church there are people in the church in Corinth who long to live for Christ, and yet they don't quite get it right on a number of levels. And Paul says, don't worry about it. Really, don't worry about it. You're attempting. That's, you're headed in the right direction. Keep going in that direction. And at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says this about love when he wraps it all up. He says, these three made faith, hope, and love. And then he says, but we don't, express this in the best way, in the perfect way. Most of us don't. Because we have eyes that see like in a, in a mirror that's cloudy. But that's okay. Because God is still at work in us. God is at work in each and every one of us. And he's calling us to follow the person of Jesus. To walk in the light of Jesus. And to find that God's power is at work now. And Paul says, so when we see in a glass dimly, there will come a point where we see clearly. And when we see clearly, the power of God will be present.
will be seen. So Paul is hopeful. Paul is joyous that he's in a place like Corinth. And Paul sets out and he lives there. And he gives his best to God. Friends, in the place where you live, the place where I live, God is calling us. He's calling us to see what is, but he's also calling us to see what he intends. He's calling us to live hopefully. He's calling us to live with love and with faith. These three remain. Faith, hope, and love. Let's pray together. Kind Father, thank you for your love expressed to us. In the person of Christ, thank you that you send prophets our way. Thank you that in the midst of everything that's happening in our culture, you still call out to us. In the midst of everything happening in our lives, you call out to us. Lead us. Take me where you'd have us to go. Amen.